0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Prepare him room. Prepare him room. Um, As the old Christmas carol says, is what we're to be about during this season. And it's really um, crazy to think about giving a message or a sermon on the love of God like how do you How do you even begin to go about planning for something like that? Um, and so here 's my best take on it um, and i 've got three uh, sort of reflections what we went over in. Uh, our time of silence together in the book of John, and then also later in a letter that John wrote in 1 John, uh, actually the whole entire chapter, chapter 4 in 1 John, basically what comes after that kind of like scripture verse is simply a reflection on what those verses mean. And so I've got three things that I'd like to share this morning, and they're on the screen there, and we can just keep them there for the whole time. Maybe it's just like for those of you who are structured and organized, it'll give you like a timetable to like, we're almost done with this. So you can keep track and say, okay, it's like one point away from being out. That's great. Okay, so we're going to talk about the incarnation, uh, our love versus God's love, and transformation. Let every heart prepare him room. Now the first thing that I wanted to talk about is incarnation. What do we mean when we say that Jesus came that God came to be born in the person of Jesus, which is already moving too fast. But let's take the word first, incarnation. What does the word incarnation mean? Well, you guys have heard of like who are the dinosaurs that eat meat? Who are they? carnivorous they're carnivorous so what we're saying in the incarnation this word what we're saying is that God became meat no literally God became flesh God became dinosaur food if you will that was a joke thought many of you would get that God became good joke well done well done God became dinosaur food God became flesh and when we say that Christmas is about the birth of God in the person of Jesus, we already miss the most astounding thing of all. When we say that God was born in the person of Jesus, and that's what Christmas is about, the most astounding thing is that God was born, that God was born at all. I mean, just think for a minute what that means that God was born as a person. It's so astounding and so outside of my own understanding, I can't even begin to comprehend that, that God was born. It's the greatest wonder of all. Now, babies historically have not been born in hospitals. I've got nothing against hospitals and doctors, love them. But historically, we are in a unique period in history where babies are born in hospitals. Babies have bor- been born all over the place. They've been born in houses, and homes. They've been born in fields, in forests, on the side of roads. It's only a new thing in these last like 60 years or so that babies have been born in hospitals. It was a very natural thing what happened in the birth of Jesus. It was a very, very human thing an ordinary thing that happened in the birth of Jesus. You know, Mary was pregnant for nine months. Pretty human. The birth was messy. It was in a barn. Yes, a barn. A stable. He was placed in a feeding trough. Pretty ordinary. What's unique about the whole story and what's utterly amazing and astounding that God was even born at all. That's the unique thing about the birth of Jesus, and that's what Christmas is about. Totally unique. So in essence, and this might mess with your theology a little bit, but this is scriptural. In essence, God changed. Hold on a second. Are you preaching heresy? God changed? No. What, no, this is scriptural. What was spirit has now become flesh. That's utterly unique on the face of the planet. What was unseen now became seen. God made flesh. The incarnation is totally unique on the scale of the human (coughs) drama. So, a fresh reflection or a fresh recollection or a fresh question to ask this Advent season for yourselves, for God. Here's an on-ramp. Would be to simply ask God, Why did you become a person? Does God need to become human? He has everything, right? He owns everything. Does God really need to become a human being? You know, just to find some space, whether it's over the next couple of days, even on Christmas Day, amidst all the presents and all of the activity and all of the stuff that's swirling around, just to sit still for a minute and ask God, why did you become a person? And then just listen. That would be a fresh question to ask. Well, to answer that question, again, for, from my own experience and for us here this morning, the first hint to the answer to that question is that it's not speci- expe- specifically and explicitly about forgiveness. Think about it this way. He spoke the world into being. He could have swung the heavenly gavel in one stroke and said, you're all forgiven, right? This positional authority that God has as judge of the world, as creator, as the one true God. He could have swung the heavenly gavel with one thought and just with an edict, with a fiat, say, you're forgiven. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He said, you know, I want to do something that means more. So the incarnation isn't explicitly about the forgiveness of sins. I'm not talking about the forgiveness of sins this morning. See, Christmas is less about the forgiveness of our sins and more about the love of God. That's what we're here to talk about this morning. And so instead of swinging the heavenly gavel and saying, you're all forgiven, bam, it's done. He says, I'll take on flesh and become like you. Ugh, that's astounding. That's amazing. So the first hint is that it's not explicitly about forgiveness. Instead, the creator Of the world came to live among the condemned on death row. The judge of all came to live on death row. And so that's a good question to be asking this Advent season is like, why did you become human? The second hint is that it's about love. It's about the love of God, and that's our second bullet point, is our love versus God's love. And the most serious error that we could make is to think that we understand God's love this morning. <coughs> I am in serious error if I walked into this building this morning thinking, you know what, I've pretty much got a handle on God's love. I understand it completely. I've already You see, it's an error to think that because when we think about our... That's why I put our love versus God's love. Because our idea of love is completely different from God's idea of love. We'll unpack that here in a minute. Our idea of love is actually at war with God's kind of love. They're at war with one another... And we're foolish to impose our own definitions of what love is onto God. The other scripture for this morning is 1 John chapter 4, the entire chapter. I'll spare you, we won't read the entire chapter. To sum it up, God is love, is what John writes. God is love. But we want to pay particular attention to where we... What was the Saturday Night Live thing? You're placing the emphasis on the wrong syllable. We want to pay particular attention to where we place the emphasis in that phrase. God is love. No, 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 let's change it. God is love. Because we can go around saying that, like, God is love, love is God, love is all you need. Love is all you need, love is all you need, But but that's foolish because we begin to, if we, if we say it like that, we begin to impose our projections, our definitions, impose our definitions of what love is onto God. And what we really need to get a hold of this morning is that God is love. What we're really saying is like love is what God looks like. If it's love, it's God. He's the author of it. But it's okay that we're foolish this morning. God's a big boy. He can handle that. He can handle our foolishness. But it's a key change to understand that love is like God. And to the degree we get a more clear picture of who God is, is the degree which we'll understand divine love. It's not the other way around. Check it out. This is a conversation overheard in heaven right before Jesus was born. I love this. It's taken from Max Lucado's "An Angel's story. And it's a conversation between God and Lucifer just before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. care to listen okay here we go the king walked over and reached for the book he turned it toward lucifer and commanded come deceiver read the name of the one who will call your bluff read the name of the one who will storm your gates satan rose slowly off his haunches Like a wary wolf, he walked a wide circle toward the desk until he stood before the volume and read the word. Emmanuel, he muttered to himself, then spoke a tone of disbelief. God with us? For the first time, the hooded head turned squarely toward the face of the Father. No, not even you would do that. Not even you would go so far. You've never believed me, Satan. But Emmanuel, the plan is bizarre. You don't know what it's like on earth. You don't know how dark I've made it. It's putrid. It's evil. It's, it's mine, proclaimed the king. And I will reclaim what is mine. I will become flesh. I will feel what my creatures feel. I will see what they see. But what of their sin? I will bring mercy. What of their death? I will give life. Satan stood speechless. God spoke, I love my children. Love does not take away the beloved's freedom. But love takes away fear. And Emmanuel will leave behind a tribe of fearless children. They will not fear you or your hell. Satan Satan stepped back at the thought. His retort was childish. "They, They will too. I will take away all sin. I will take away death. Without sin and without death, you have no power. Around and around in a circle, Satan paced. Clenching and unclenching his wiry fingers. When he finally stopped, he asked a question that even I was thinking. Why? Why would you do this? The father's voice was deep and soft. Because I love them. Because I love them. It's true, we can't pay the debt of sin. And that's why we're not focusing on this incarnation as being about the forgiveness of sin, but rather the love of God, because we can't pay the debt of sin. This is too true in our day and age. But today, I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about it. It's as different from water is to sand, I'm talking about the love of the Father. Christmas isn't about our sin. It's about the love of God. The economics of the kingdom turned every business model upside down. We owe nothing but a, but, uh, but a debt of love. Love is the currency. Love is the coin. We repay the love debt with the very substance of the original act of God's love. Okay, that's really good news. We start to let me say it again, (laughs) we are in debt, which we can never pay back, but we can try. Oh, you say that's, well, grace is opposed to earning your salvation. I'll tell you, the bank of heaven is open for business, and there are 7 billion different locations to which you can start to repay the debt of love that you owe to God. Behind you, in front of you, to the side, everywhere. Love is the currency. Love is the coin. We repay the love debt with the very substance of the original act of God's love. To be like Jesus. Our idea of love, here it is. Our idea of love is about what we feel, our circumstances what they're like, or at its highest level about sacrifice for others. But God's love is different. It's not merely about the forgiveness of sins. It's about the love of the Father for his children. And that brings us to our last point, which is transformation. And this, we always end up here, don't we? We always end up Vineyard Cleveland at presents. Because this is the hope of Christmas, Christmas is about the hope of transformation. You see it in every Christmas movie, trying to mimic the original story. That there is hope for you and there's hope for me to be different people that we can change, that people do change in the person of Jesus Christ. Christmas is about the hope of transformation, and this is challenging, and we get to think about it every year at Christmas time. The challenging thing is that god 's love has been incarnated into human flesh, and we get to be reminded of that each and every year that the incarnation, the infleshing of God, can be enacted in people like you and me, and that's super duper. Tough and that's super duper challenging, but it's the invitation every December for us here in America to remember that the incarnation, the indwelling of God, that God as Spirit would actually become skin and bones, that we get to be that to other people. See, it's one thing to just celebrate God at Christmas. Oh, God's a baby. Hey, Merry Christmas. It's a completely other thing to become like God. There's an ancient church father, his name's Athanasius. And he summed up this challenge in a sort of hyperbolic type of phrase when he said this. The son of God became man so that we might become God. Oh, hold on. Heresy, hold on. This isn't some New Age teaching. It's actually the reason for Christmas. The Son of God became man so that we might become God. God came to live among us in order to show us how life was supposed to be lived. And our lives are supposed to be lived the way that Jesus lived it. Now, why did Athanasius cut out that little key word, like? Right? We want it in our, in our neat and tidy religious boxes. We want Athanasius to say, God, in Christmas, God became man so that man could become like God. But Athanasius knew what those of you who follow Jesus with all of your heart know, that that little word like presents a convenient, easy out for us good, tidy people. Because we can say, oh yeah, God, God wants us to become like him, like Jesus. I can be a nicer person. Well, yes, I could be a nicer person. I could, I could do better. I could do better. But that's not what Athanasius said, and that's not what Christmas is about. You see, what Athanasius does by removing that word like... Is he's getting at this thing of presence and substance, the very substance of God in you. That's why I say it's not some weird, like new age teaching. This is scripture. You carry in right in earthen vessels. And though the vessel is cracked, you can only hope that what spills out is the Spirit of God. That you carry the Holy Spirit inside of you. Like literally, like when you breathe, He breathes. Inside of your chest, presence. Now, it takes having the substance, the Word of God in us, to enflesh divinity in the here, in the now. That's what it takes. We can't change any way else, on a side note. We cannot change any way else. Have you tried to change yourself recently? How's that going? Have you tried to change other people recently? No. Any control freaks here? Tried to change other people? That's going splendidly well for you, isn't it? They just can't see it my way. If they saw it my way, this world would be a better place. If they all saw it my way, Really difficult to change other people. Really difficult to change yourself. Change the world. Gosh, I'm a gazillion steps before that. But Jesus, what he's saying in the incarnation is that transformation is possible. The enfleshment of God, of spirit into flesh is possible. How? How? <laughs> so you some of you may be asking, wow, well, how in the world do I do that? How are you going to do that? I love this from Dallas Willard. Let's bring it home. Dallas Willard says this. He's talking, he's reflecting about love being the perfect expression of discipleship. He's reflecting on this phrase, love your enemies, Man, that's a good one. That should be in the Bible. Is that in the Bible? Love your enemies? Man, that's a good one. Think about that phrase for a second. We'll get on to Dallas Willard's thoughts in a minute. Love your enemies? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. What does that mean? Dallas Willard says this. It's not easy to consistently love our family and friends at the heart level, much less our enemies. We may be able to focus on what's good and valuable about them, but delighting in them as God delights in them is much more difficult. It's a much more difficult matter. Delight in our enemies. Delight in those who have just cursed us, who've hurt us who've taken something of value from us and scorned us and looked down upon us, down upon us, that's hard to do. And at many points, this is where we give up. We're like, gosh, I'm not God after all. Give me a break. That's my emphasis, not Dallas Willard's. <laughs> but this is, where we, this is where we give up. We're like, uh, it's too much, too much. I can't, I can't go there right now. But Dallas Willard says this. He goes on to say this. We should should not try to love that person. We should train ourselves to become the kind of person who would love them. Our aim under love is not to be loving to this person or that person, this situation or that situation, but to be a person, here it is, but to become a person who is possessed by love as the overall character of our life. Uh, it's so freeing. If I have to love my enemy, right? If I, have to, if I have to love my enemy, I'm stepping out of my nature. Like, even though it kills me, I'm going to love my enemy. There. I hope you liked it. (laughs) You know, but Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't come and he was like, gosh, you guys are idiots. I love you. There. I hope you liked it. Like, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus responded the only way he had to respond And that was with love, because he was possessed by love. So the real hope of Christmas is that we can act in loving ways, even when we don't feel loving. Love is not something we do. It's something we become. We become God made flesh. It requires a miracle. It requires new birth. It requires Jesus' love in us, in substance. It's not so weird when you think about it. God living in us, earthly vessels, carrying presents. You know, we had a series before this called The Wild Goose, and we talked about the Holy Spirit. And in that series, we talked about very practical ways that we can encounter God in this idea that it's not merely about, like, the, the scripture and these, like, uh, read my Bible, do this, do that, but, like, fleshing the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how that's drastically different than a lot of... American evangelical churches see it, but we believe it's actually what, like, the scriptures mean that we are to enflesh the presence of God. And so, I could use a word like spiritual disciplines, but discipline—that's like a naughty word. Um, practices, spiritual practices, um, spiritual habits could be another word of like just you know, how do we transform? How do we become love? It's like crazy to think about. And I think that I could stand before you and, you know, give you, like, top five ways to be transformed into becoming love. But what I was going to say at the beginning of the talk <laughs> that I'll say now is that, like, none of us are experts. Like, none of us have it figured out, right? Right? It's like, I had this picture of, like, that late-night radio show back in the 90s that was, like, duplicated and replicated. All. Who was that? What was her name? Delilah. Yeah, yeah, like, the love show or whatever. And she'd give, like, commentaries on these, like, desperate lovers who were, like, I just want her to know that she, I love her. Can you play this Luther Vandross song, please? I hope she hears you know I could I could be Delilah and be like well you know here are the ways top five cover a Cosmo to become love But I think that'd be like inauthentic to just where we're at you know maybe it's like between now and Christmas, maybe just taking, like finding some margin and just being still before God and listening. And listening how he would speak into your specific journey, how you can become God made flesh to those in your life. Maybe it isn't doing, maybe it's like, you know, I I never go to toy drives and homeless shelters. Like maybe I'm just gonna like Pony up and I'm going to do it this, this year. God, you, I hear you calling me to do that. I'm going to like serve at a homeless shelter. Maybe, maybe it is in the doing and, and activism for you. That's where you encounter God made flesh through you. But you know for you. You know those places in your heart and in your life where God is putting his finger on right outside the conversation of like forgiveness of sin this isn't the time where like preacher makes people feel guilty for sin right but you know the areas where god is putting his finger on in your life where he's saying gently and lovingly like hey become love in these places these spaces in your heart you've closed them off to me like open up these rooms Like, why why are all these, like, the Lord, like, walking around, like, why are all these doors locked in your life? Like, throw open the gates. Throw open the doors. Let me in. Invite me in. And I propose today, when we do that, and sometimes it's not even conditional, right? Most times it's not. But when we do that, We invite the true meaning of Christmas. We invite Jesus' presence to show us what incarnation actually looks like. Why don't you join me in standing?